And we are 116? 116 for God's sake. So last week, John, you were playing with pars. You still been carrying on with that this week at all? I have. It's. Uh, I don't want this to, to sound like a commercial for it, but I've, I've actually really enjoyed playing around in this great sandbox. So I, I can tell you a little bit why. Um, is because uh, I, I have talked about in the past in, in presentations about uh, this project Mightyverse that I worked on a long time ago. And uh, and my interest in using Pars at first was, you know, I remember it as basically a data store for your, your mobile apps. And I hadn't really considered, you know, what else you could do with it. Could you build, you know, the rest of the stack? Could you build a an HTML app that could talk to a back end? And could you provide um, some public API calls with it? And in other words, could it really replace um, writing your own server? You know, when you when you when you do a Rails app, for example, you kind of get an API, you get the a complete web app, or you get the scaffolding for for kind of so called single page apps, and uh, you can decide how you want to deploy it. Because a lot of times people want to have an API, a public API, in addition to to you know the public possibly a private API that they use themselves, and so that's definitely the case for Mightyverse. And so. And, you know, I, I had been excited about it because I remembered how much fun it was to be able to get things up and running quickly. And they have a pretty good uh, community there. Uh, it seems there's a lot of activity on the on the, the, the kind of the question boards. And so one of the things that I wanted to be able to do is to be able to make an OEmbed response. So OEmbed is the standard that was invented at Flickr many years ago. It's a standard way to be able to embed some type of media in a web page. So you basically can can you know make a, a get request to a server, pass in a URL that represents some piece of content like a discrete photo or a discrete video on YouTube or SoundCloud file or whatever, and you can get back either a JSON or an XML response that gives you a standard set of, of, of key value pairs, like the title of it and what its type is and its thumbnail. And, and if it's uh, you know if it's a video, you'll get the H the complete HTML needed to be able to embed it. And and so on and so forth. So it's just it makes it very easy if you want your content to be embedded somewhere, and that is the case here. And so uh, that was something that I kind of thought should be possible. And I, I asked, you know, the question, you know, I'm trying to do this, and I look, you have your REST API documentation, and I don't see how to do this because it wasn't clear how you could get a URL. You know, basically take the input of a URL or take whatever parameters might be posted to it, and and generate your custom response and. I thought, well, okay, here I've got them. I've this is this is where it all falls apart. And you know, I posted the question, and then as often happens, you post the question, you think about it a little bit more, you go scratch your heads, you go look through some more docs, you go back and Google search some more, and then you find out, in fact, it is. I was just looking completely in the wrong section. So I guess what I was saying is that they have more than just these these offerings that they were having, uh, just to make iPhone developers' lives easier. And and, and to to kind of wrap it up. Uh, they had, I guess, last last year sometime, uh, their first kind of developer conference, and this is the the one where they had all that fat Facebook money behind them, and they were kind of making jokes about it. They're saying that you know their first developer conferences, so to speak, were just like these informal meetups where they would crack open a couple of bottles of beer and and allow people to lament. This one was rather slick, so they had a kind of a presentation about the history of it, and as it turns out. 
the guy who founded it, Elia, I think is his name, uh, some guy who like came to San Francisco and decided that he wanted to build, you know, an app that would, would, would fit in with a time, which is social, local, mobile. All right. And so he builds this app, which is kind of, it announces where you are uh, to those that you want to, to, to allow to know where you are and then with the possibility to be able to meet it up. So it's kind of an app. It's, it's really kind of a feature in a bunch of different apps. And so he wrote this app and in the process of writing it, he said, you know, having come from the back end, he already knew how to do that stuff. And he was finding it so hard to do the front end stuff that he, he, he you know, once he kind of figured out how to do those things, then he, he re had to go back to the back end and do the things like how do you how do you connect your app with with a Facebook account? How do you send push notifications? How do you store data? And he found out that he was spending so much time on the back end and, and he was getting nowhere kind of with consumers adopting his app. He decided that he would do the world a favor and, and produce not another social local mobile app, which the world didn't need, but in fact, an app service that allowed a bunch of other people, a bunch of other gold prospectors to, to build their own social local mobile apps more easily. And the rest is history. You know, they grew very quickly and were acquired by Facebook. And so I, I, I found the whole thing kind of uh, an interesting business tale as 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 much as I found it an interesting set of technical offerings. Yeah, that's what you call a, a pivot that worked well. It, yeah, really. Yeah, totally. Well, I guess, that, so, I mean, I'm now at the point where I probably have like another kind of week of, of noodling around before I can make my recommendation. And, and the question being, you know, does it make sense to to kind of use this going forward versus a roll your own server? And I, I guess my last kind of thing, which is my last little bit worry about, you know, is this thing too good be, to be true is, is you know, the, the response time. You know, if you were running your own server, you, you know, everybody and their mother is somewhere and, and hosted in Amazon's cloud services in, in one way or another. And and I guess the difference is is that you know how close are you to your virtual machine, uh, you know versus versus being on top of somebody else's kind of load balancing system because their response times are you know the the, the ideal is you want to get response times of two to three hundred milliseconds and I'm seeing it more you know closer to you know around a second and it's hard to tell at this point is it because um, I'm absolutely doing something wrong or because I'm only using a free account, but that, that's kind of a tricky thing with these types of services. How do you know whether you know the, the free version is the same performance you'll get? Um, because presumably you pay more money to be able to handle more requests. They're kind of treated uh, with more love and care than the freeloaders. But uh, I'll see what I, what I get with that. Yeah, well, you, well, actually you would hope that the people paying are getting priority on their service and it might just be, I don't know, it, it, there could be some clever algorithm that says, you know, as long as there's no paying API, you know, things going on, you get load. And if you, you don't, you don't know. But, um, you know, I, yeah. I, companies don't tend to be too uh, often too public about that. And even when they do say, well, you get priority or you get, you know, so many this or so many that. Uh, I think, you know, this whole thing about things like Heroku talking about um, workers and, and uh, there's nodes and whatever all these other ones use. It's quite clever because although they do specify a node, it makes it a little bit more random. In other words, you can't actually one hundred percent equate what one of those is, and therefore what one of those should perform like, um, which which works well for them because you know they can over time deliver what they want to deliver and say you've still got three nodes. The fact that a node was less than it used to be or something is you know um, hard to keep up with but it's but you're always at the we spoke about this i think last week a little bit you're always at the mercy of how the vendor is implementing if that thing was sat on your own server um 
you know, it's it's down to how big a server you're putting it on, how big a pipe you're choosing to put it on, um, you know, what caching you're using, what proxying you're using, and all this other stuff that you're in charge of. But equally, you know, those words I've just said, uh, you know, let's be honest, scare most of us to, to pieces um, about having to handle that, especially something under load. Uh, I mean, those of us who right. go to Linode, which is the sort of um, uh, VPS vendor that I use, because uh, I just think they're great, um, I, I think they're I much prefer them to Amazon Web Services, especially now they um, allow you to run servers by the minute, just like AWS do. Um, anyway, that wasn't an ad for them; they don't sponsor the show. Uh, you know, it's one thing you know slapping up a server and sticking Nginx on it, and you know um, a Node app behind it or a Rails app behind it. That you know you've you've basically done what everyone else does. You know, right, create Rails app or um, using Express with Node to create an API framework or something. Um, that's that's totally different to then being responsible for you know a million people hitting that machine. <laughs> Um, right. You know, and, yeah, and the things and that, that yeah. sysadmins are doing and DBAs are doing when you're under those sort of loads of stuff that you know us mere mortals have no idea about. And you know, but equally, um, I guess that if you were hitting that sort of volume, I think we discussed this last week as well. The amount of money you're going to be paying one of these backend services, you probably could be well paying a sysadmin to do that for you anyway. Yeah, theoretically, and assuming you can find one, that's I guess always that's an issue, isn't it? Too. Yeah, it's like, finding. You know, finding yeah. people who do that john just going to thank our sponsor yeah. so- this week it's the guys from martian craft again with their product briefs uh briefs is a professional prototyping tool a mock-up tool that allows you to create a mock-up of your mobile app um and then load it onto the device so not only do you get to see what it looks like but you get to feel how it works you can press a button you can have the transition go on and you can give it to a user or your client and just get a feel uh, for what the app is going to uh, feel like in your hand on the actual device and that doesn't sound like much but actually it's that's a huge advantage because the ability to uh, really assess what an app's going to be like just from a 2d photoshop image is actually really difficult and a skill that most of us especially me don't have so just this ability to put something on the device get the feel for it um, is going to help your clients, is going to help you, uh, and you can catch things really early before you have to rewrite all this you know, complex code to, to make things work again. So um, you can find it at giveabrief.com. Uh, you can download a free trial, which I think is fully functional, but just limits the number of uh, screens you can have or the number of items on a screen or in, in, in stuff like that. Um, and, and give it a go, and if you like it, it's 199 bucks. You can get it from the App Store, or you can download it and uh, use a non-app store version and we want to thank the guys at martian craft and their product briefs for sponsoring the show briefs make your app flow smooth like snoop dog yeah we were wondering why they'd not contacted us <laughs> to tell you to stop doing that and we've just decided they obviously don't listen to the show <laughs> well not that or they're so okay. far behind that they haven't caught that yet <laughs> <laughs> Well, we like to live dangerously here at iDeveloperLed. <laughs> Talking about APIs, John, I've been uh, working uh, on a project this week that's been using the Facebook API um, quite a lot. Mm. And uh, Facebook have a whole different way of, uh, different ways that you can access them. 
Um, and, I, and I don't want to go into lots of detail about it because it, it may or may not interest people, but just talking about, you were saying lots of us have to design APIs and, and do APIs. Um, just thought we could just chat for just a, just a few moments, I don't think it will take long, about the Facebook policy now of um, they'll release an API and then they guarantee that API for two years. And so yeah. uh, when an API is, is, is um, put out there, it's also got a finish date. So, uh, which they've started doing. So you you know when it's coming to an end, and the next one goes goes on, which is quite nice because it's great. You know what you're working with, but equally it it puts you in some interesting situations sometimes. So um, at the moment, I'm I'm working with the Facebook Graph API, and it, that's now at version two, is the current version, and that's um, I can't remember when version two came out. It doesn't matter. Uh, but version two actually limits the data you can get considerably compared to version one. Uh, in in the version one of the graph API, you could get lots more information about um, the, the, from the data on, that's held on Facebook uh, to use in your application, um, and you know not outside of the Facebook terms and conditions. So all fine. But in in the graph API two API, they've they've closed a lot of that down, and. Uh, so I, I wanted some of this information. So it's sort of interesting making a choice to use an API, um, which I, I can't talk about why I'm using the API um, for various reasons, but just, yeah, but the fact it's going to go out of date is probably not a problem to me. Um, so, but using an API that I already know has only got 12 months of life left, uh, at the end of May 2015, the Graph API 1.0 uh, will go offline. Um and, and so it just it was an interesting thing that I think it's great that they've done it. That's plenty of warning. It's interesting that they've made the choice to make an API more restrictive. Um, so, for example, let me give you an example. On uh, the Graph API uh, 1.0, um, when you um, got somebody to sign up to your Facebook application, because if you're accessing the Facebook API, you need to register your application as a Facebook application. Um, and then you need to get somebody to log into your application uh, through Facebook to get hold of the Facebook. Or you need to get a Facebook token, access token, basically. You can do it several mm -hmm. ways to then be able to access Facebook as that user of Facebook. And in the Graph API 1.0, uh, once a user, a Facebook user, logged on to your application using um, you know, their Facebook credentials, you could then, you, when, when you ask, when you get to log on to the app, the app asks the user for a whole bunch of permissions um, that the user then has to accept. And like one of those permissions, for example, is can I see your friends list? Um, user can choose to say yes or no. Uh, but if the user said yes, under the Graph API at 1.0, you could then see a list of all that user's friends which you could use in your application for the purposes you wish to use it, as long as you stayed inside the Facebook terms and conditions. Whereas in the Graph API 2.0, when you say yes to the same thing, it will only show you the friends of other, uh, the friends, your friends who have also signed up to your application. So that's like, actually, if you're trying to do some mining stuff exploratory stuff yeah that's a huge uh sudden limitation so it's a case of this it, actually i think is a good limitation because it's facebook being a little bit more secure but it's suddenly yeah, you've got this really quite expansive 
operation to this sort of um, uh, less expansive operation, and I've now spoken about this far longer than I was intending to, which is sort of forced me to say, well, actually, I want the old functionality, so choosing to use the old API, knowing I'm going to have to deal with some of those problems later on and, 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 and change things. And this this is just raised to me this week, because um, I do a number of APIs for different things, you know, that sort of not just the API design, but the management of versioning of APIs, uh, and, and your closing and opening of APIs and changing things is, is something that you need to think through really, really carefully. Now, um, I mean, have you used any APIs, John, that you suddenly found you could do one thing and not do another? I guess Twitter might be one of those sort of things, but uh, you know, is that something you've had to wrestle with at all? Uh, yeah, and, and in fact, we, we do use the Facebook API as well, and, and that's something we've been looking at um, because it, it's, a, it's an interesting balance. It's like it, it's... You know, with anything where it's it's more fun if more people use it, you, you're kind of Facebook is is not the only game in town, but by by just by for instance single sign on, I think that they do fifty six percent or more of, of of all single sign ons, and the next is it's it's Twitter and then G you know uh, Google Plus, um, and you 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 obviously get a bunch. I I am I, I had that feeling. It's like wow, you can find out everything about everybody, and it, as soon as the user gives even basic permission. So I'm not surprised that they're cutting it back, but I was not aware of this this restriction where you would only see other friends who'd also consented to use your app because that kind of kills the the kind of virality 101 um, thing. So that's kind of a trick because it basically says that if you are not already a hugely you know uh, successful application, you have 12 months to become one, where you then have a large enough graph yourself that that it doesn't matter. So, yeah, it's an, but but interestingly enough, I th I'm. This is anecdotal evidence as opposed to I've read specific documentation to say this is true. So this is what I think is happening, um, as opposed to definitely what is happening. But anybody who has, um, basically, if you sign a, a, a put a new application on Facebook now, you cannot use the Graph one point zero API. The, the, the application ah. had to be registered on Facebook before the end of April this year. So uh -huh. you have no choice if you that. register uh -huh. now. Uh, but equally, even if your application was registered with Facebook before the end of April, which does allow you to use uh, version one of the API, if the user who signs on to your application joined Facebook after the end of April this year, it will force your application into using version two of the graph API with all those limitations anyway, even though your application wants to use version one. Interesting. So it's, it's just an interesting thing about, I'll I be, guess, no, so. yeah, it, when it comes to Facebook, it's, there's a difference, isn't it? When I'm writing an API for, for an application, um, or most people are starting off writing an API, it's about encouraging people to use my service. I need to look after them. Whereas I think almost Facebook are in the opposite position, you know, we are enormous and we are going to allow you the privilege of using our API, but we'll do what the heck we like. That's true. And that, that's, that's kind of very interesting because, you know, when, when to, to connect it back to parse, when parse kind of, when they were acquired by Facebook, I think there were a lot of people saying, uh, you know, are there really going to be onerous uh, conditions placed upon it? Because I was kind of surprised, you know, that Facebook was, was really talking to developers. It, it's not just, 
you know, have access to a graph, but they're more like saying everybody and their mother is building an app and we're going to give you the easiest, most comfortable infrastructure. And, and I think it is. I mean, it's like, you know, maybe I need to go back and look at some some other ones. But, you know, my recollection of, of using Google App Engine, for example, is like, you know, super, super scalability, on, but for just one aspect of your app, whereas, you know, Parse really seems to cover soup to nuts. And I'd be curious to know whether they they ever kind of give any type of preferential treatment for people who are using Parse in terms of getting access to the the, the graph. Now that that's total speculation on my part, but I'm, I'm you know maybe something like that will happen where you know because I think that that uh, you know in the end people need to make money. Right. So, you know, you every everything needs to, to, to make money and you're either going to be making money because we can send ads to you or because you're paying money for the, the service. And, uh, you know, if, if, the, if the Facebook gets a bunch of developers to who are all out there prospecting, prospecting for gold, then that who knows whether it's a, you know, whether it's a money maker for them. I think that, for instance, Amazon, I, I don't know whether all of, of Amazon services serve to actually be a, a, a you know a reasonable profit center along with selling books or whether it just is able to you know subsidize the the the, the data center you know the, the, the basically cloud computing capability that they need themselves so it's, it's it's interesting to to look at this as a kind of a chess game it certainly is okay i just want to speak about our second sponsor for today that's our our friends at rem objects and their product data abstract now, Data Abstract has been a sponsor of the show a long time in the past, so if you're an old listener, you'll um, know all about this. If you're a new listener, then um, you uh, you maybe don't. Data Abstract is basically a multi-tier um, database system, so it allows you to have um, a, a, a relational database somewhere out in the cloud, and then you put a middle tier between the database and your application one of the reasons you do that is that almost every client um, driver for a database, um, a relational database, is designed to be used locally or on a local area network. They're not cloud designed. So this then puts your middle tier in there. So you could speak to the middle tier. It speaks to the database. It processes the data for you and sends it back. Now, of course, because there's a middle tier, that means you can get all sorts of um, uh, benefits from that that... You wouldn't if you were just speaking directly to the database. Uh, so the first one is you can sort of put schemas over the data so that you can restrict access to certain data because you're not exposing your full database out to the web. Of course, because it's a middle tier, it's giving you... Um, it will send data back in just JSON if that's what you prefer, but equally it has a binary format which will compress it and send it down, giving you far more efficient uh, data transmission. And on the client side, whether you're working for OS 10 with the OS 10 client or the iOS client or those Java clients or .NET clients or even Delphi clients all totally native to the platform this isn't a, that's, they're not cross, cross cross platform in any way the clients are they're native to the the, the tools you're using um, you can just set up your queries um, and just say do it and it will sort out the connection to the database the authentication uh, the downloading of the data in pages just as you use it and it will actually focus with if you change the data going back and doing the updates for you as well and you just get it all in one really nice um, database table object uh, which you can navigate and change things and save rows um, and there's no messing around we were talking about apis just now there's no messing around with 
HTTP URL session, um, session or anything like that, and having to parse JSON, it's all sorted for you, all really fast, really efficient, and they've been writing this stuff for years, so it's got loads and loads of data. So if you're doing anything about putting some data in the cloud, then you probably should at least go and check this stuff out. And you can do that at remobjects.com slash DA. So uh, thanks to the guys at RemObjects for sponsoring the show. Uh, we do appreciate it. So, John, we, I just mentioned, um, totally trying to give a, oh, I've just screwed up, so I'm not even going to bother anymore. I was trying to do a link and then just try to describe the link. How unprofessional is that? John, you wanted to talk something about, I think we were speaking just of some more table view stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, with Findry, you know, we're, we're continually refining the app. And one of the things that, uh, that one wants to have, if, you, if you've got a lot of data present to present where you, you know, it, it all comes down to something quite similar to, you know, a Twitter feed or, or a Facebook feed. Facebook feed is more complicated because, you know, a tweet kind of is self-contained more or less. You've got your limited number of characters. If there's a photo attached to it, you've got that links you can tap. But for the most part, you know, tweets are either some little witty bit of banter or, you know, a vehicle to, to carry a link to somewhere else. That's about it. Whereas uh, something like Findery, where you've got, you know, you know, you've got notes that are near you or note maps, which are collections of notes or, or commentary or activity around to that, You've got a long feed of stuff that you want to show, but that at any one moment, any one point in that feed, people may want to go a little bit deeper without completely losing their context. So you really want a, a kind of a two-dimensional scroll view, right? Um, so you've got the, the main table view, and then the table view cells may want to have something that's swipeable. So uh, something I started working on, um, because we're shipping an, an update which will feature that um, capability in, in one of our, our view controllers, in fact, the very first one. And it's a technique that I'm going to adapt to a bunch of other ones that are going to be similar to it. And so it's been fun to, to kind of do that where you say, I'm going to try something new, I'll build a tester app, get it up and, and, and working, and then you know build my first instance of it. And then when it comes time to build the second one, figure out you know how you can factor it between the two. And so I, I've, I've, I've gotten that to that sweet spot. It's kind of when things become very fun, I think, where you can really kind of make things as, as clean and as efficient as possible. But uh, it, it, it all was built around basically, you know, uh, a, a great blog post that I found. I have to find the, the find a link for it, but it explains how to, to, to have a, an indexed collection view because what I'm doing basically is having a table view cell whose job is essentially to host a collection view. And since you really want one controller, which is going to control all the data, right? So you, you, you're fetching all your, 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 your stream of objects and, and one of them may you know, require a, an additional backend fetch to find the rest of them, and you may have page results and so forth. Um, uh, you really want to, to kind of, you know, have one one controller that can be the delegate for both your table view, so your table view data source and delegate, and the delegate for each of the different collection views. And so then you run into the problem of how do you, you keep track of them. Um, and there was a really very simple technique, which I found very, very clever way of doing it, which was kind of unlocked this this capability, so it was lots of fun to do. And so, who knows? Maybe this will be my next uh, my next contribution uh, to the world of, of of GitHub hosted very simple sample applications that show you a little technique. And now, I, now I'm developing a little bit of a taste for doing this thing. Um, but it's been fun. But you had asked whether whether I was putting together my list of of questions for for 
for dub dub slash alt and, and I have and one of them was a little performance thing which had to do with um, uh, a slight jitter that I'm seeing um, in some of my swiping collection views when they slide into place so um, somehow I hope to get that answered uh, not next week but the following week but have you, have you ever done something like that? No I haven't John so I'm looking forward to the um, having a look at your code um, you're going to become a prolific um, open source contributor, it sounds like, over the next uh, uh, year or two. You know, who knows? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pushing it. But, you know, there was some guy who had, had tweeted uh, asking about what I was what I was trying to do. It was very nice. So who knows? It's always nice to find that, that somewhere, somewhere uh, somehow, something that you do piques somebody else's interest out there on the internet. It is. It always is. So talking about there on the internet, um, just as we draw to the end of the show, people may or may not realise that um, the NS Conference 6 videos have begun to be released. And um, this year we've, we've done something that we've not done before. We're putting them out for free and uh, they're on Vimeo. Um, so if you go to Vimeo forward slash NSConf, you will see that uh, there's about four or five of them out now and there's uh, one or two a day coming out just to... Um, it just makes me feel powerful just dribbling them out. I have no other reason to really, <laughs> and uh, just to allow people to to be interested. So, um, just want to give a shout out on the show to uh, Microsoft because uh, the reason we've been able to do it for free is because obviously, yeah, videoing at a conference you need quite a lot of equipment. We've purchased a lot of equipment. You need people on that equipment for three days, yeah, you know, which is quite a lot of time. And then there's all the post production. So. Um, lots of people clamor for conference videos for free and you know, that means to do them for free you've either got to just you know stick a handy cam up in the corner and put up with you know some really not that high quality um, stuff which is great but it, it does the job or you've got to make a reasonable investment and you know, if you're making a reasonable investment you need to decide you know, where that uh, you know, that money's coming from and, and I, I don't I think if you're going to put videos out after a conference, which I have no problem with the philosophical stuff of them being free, but I think it's unfair to make the people who go to the conference and come to the conference have to uh, pay for the cost of videoing the conference within their ticket price as well so that everyone else can get them for free, which is partly why we've always sold them. So in fact, the uh, people who come to the conference get them for free um because the costs of making them are covered by the people who didn't come to the conference and have to purchase the videos but um in yeah we want to be a community conference we want to put this stuff out there and so this year microsoft sponsored the production of the videos um so well, microsoft azure uh, there we are talking about another back-end service they're all over the place john aren't they just um yeah. a, a shout out to the guys at microsoft for for sponsoring the videos they are on um, Vimeo, as I said, vimeo.com slash nsconf. People are beginning to ask, will I be able to download them? From Vimeo, no. But once they're all out, we'll probably put together a package where people can uh, just pay a small fee to cover the costs of admin and, and bandwidth and stuff and and, uh, and download them. But I haven't worked any of that stuff out yet. Or, or, or if I can find another way of doing it where I don't have to cover costs, that's fine. But at some point, you'll be able to. So go check them out. All right, I have one last thing. Can I can I express my love for you, Brits? You can express your love more, for us, uh, more Brits, specific. anytime you like. 
Okay, I would like to express my love for you Brits for 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 particularly for the BBC which produced a, a series of documentaries which I've enjoyed watching. One was called Reggae Britannia and the other one's Punk Britannia. Britannia. Um, and the Reggae Britannia was fantastic. It's a four-part series. Episode three is the one that I found the most interesting, which talks about, it's basically about the arrival of reggae from, from the West Indies uh, in, in the, you know, kind of late 50s, early 60s, and then how it was adapted by, by first-generation, um, you know, Jamaican immigrants, or, you know, who, whose, whose kids were, were then the, the first British-born generation and begat bands like, you know, UB40 and the specials and, and how other bands like the Slits and the Police took reggae. And, and for me, it's, it's something I found very, very interesting, but it was, gosh, it was so well made. And uh, you can find it on YouTube. I'm, I kind of almost think that there's got to be some, if we were to do a Venn diagram of people who are into software development, people who are into music, there's got to be a pretty big overlap. So I'm going to submit that, that, that link so that yeah, all work and no play makes you a very dull developer. So for those who are musically inclined, I can highly recommend this. Uh, this series. So thank you, Brits. Thank you, BBC. Yeah, I think uh, the BBC uh, something we Brits can be pretty proud of. I, I know that they're just like any other network in the world. They produce an awful lot of pap and crap to, to sort of, you know, do cheap TV. But when they do choose to do something, uh, a documentary or something, they, they, they tend to do it pretty well. Um, and, and to be honest, I think with the BBC iPlayer and um, Netflix and HBO, you know, that's all the quality entertainment I need. There we right, go. Right, John, tell people where they can find you out on these interwebs. When the, I, I hate that word. I'm going to stop using that word. The, the word interwebs, I find, is a... a, a oh, I don't know what even to say, but I don't know why I don't like it. If next time I say interwebs, John, throw something at me. Hard. It must be fairly hard because we're 8,000 miles apart. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what. When I'm, on, when, when I'm on the internet rambling on and ranting about people who refer to the internet as the interwebs, I do so on Twitter as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. And when I'm wanting to, to leave notes and describe things that make a place interesting, I do so on Findry as John Fox. And when you're interested in, in looking through your old photographs or even your new ones and interested in the stories that link them together, you should be checking out Memory Miner at MemoryMiner.com. That was so smooth. That was, I, I just, I love this moment, John. You just come across as the, the silky marketeer. <laughs> <laughs> ah, my name is Scotty. You can find me on Twitter as MacDevNet. 1ADN is Scotty. Findery is ScottSD. You can find my still, as yet, unwritten blog at wafflewithmeaning.com. And you can find the show notes to this show at iDeveloper.co. Thank you very much for listening. Please do go onto iTunes and give us a review. It helps other people to find the show. Um, it's unfair that you have to suffer the pain alone. Help others to share your pain and let them know about this show. So please go give us a review. Um, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Until next time, you take care. Thank you.